you know, I had to check this morning. When do we fall back? Isn't it later? I was like, uh-oh. I was like, really, this morning, really tired. Just saying, Lord Jesus, could this be the Sunday we fall back, please? Anybody know when it is? November 5th, I think it is. Does that sound right? The first week in November. So fall back then, all right? So uh, anyway, hey, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue in a sermon series that we're making our way through this fall. Uh, The series entitled One Gospel. There is one good news of what God has done for sinners like you and me uh, through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And it's amazing that in this gospel, in this good news, uh, we find our identity, we find our, our life, our justification, our standing. And the most foolish thing we could do is, uh, not, first of all, not embrace it. But what we're going to look at this morning is the foolishness of those that Paul will say were bewitched, those who uh, were turning from this one gospel, saying that they think that they could make it on their own, or maybe turn toward the law, or to try to make themselves complete or right apart from Christ. Man, that's a dangerous place to be. Charles Blondin. Have you ever heard of Charles Blondin? He uh, became a world-famous acrobat, Uh, Really, his fame was found in being a tightrope walker. And his fame became world famous that in 1859, he began, which would be several trips on a tightrope, 1,100 feet, some 200 to 270 feet in the air, depending on where it was, above Niagara Falls. The fella walked on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Now, it wasn't enough just to do that. I mean, he had to do it forwards and backwards. Uh, He would do somersaults. He did it blindfolded. One time he did it on stilts. And I still don't understand this, but they said he went out there in the middle of it and he cooked an egg and ate an egg and made an omelet one time out on the uh, falls. Uh, He actually went across with a wheelbarrow. He put a sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow. And then he asked his own mother, to get in the wheelbarrow and go across uh, and say, hey, mom, you still love me, mom? Am I your favorite mom? Uh, across the, uh, the uh, Niagara Falls. And each, each crossing, the, the crowd grew more and more amazed. I mean, in the beginning, they showed up to say, let's watch this idiot die, right? I mean, they charged them 25 cents for the first crossings, which is probably a pretty penny or a pretty nickel, uh, pretty quarter, I guess we should say, back then. Um, and so... And the more he did it, the more they got amazed. They're pretty much like, man, this guy can do anything. I mean, what can't this guy do walking across this uh, tightrope? So he gets done. He comes out. He says, he says to this crowd that is gathered, do you believe that I could carry someone across the falls? And the crowd's like, yeah, man, you can do anything, bro. I mean, you are absolutely amazing. And then he asks, is anyone willing in the crowd for me to carry them across. Silence. And no one would volunteer. You see, they believed in him, but they didn't trust him. Maybe for right reasons. They believed, but they didn't trust. And then on September 14th, 1860, after he's made several crossings, Charles Blondin carried Harry Colcord across. Now, it's interesting they have a connection here. Harry Colcord, ready for this, was his manager. And so his manager says, okay, not only do I believe I trust, 
and you could carry me across Niagara Falls. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying that we are going to put our faith in Jesus alone, that not just believing, but believing and trusting that Jesus, that he could carry us from this world to the next, that he could carry us across any chasm in which we will cross, he and he alone. We're going to look at this morning as we continue our, our, our journey through this incredible book that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the only place that we can find God's promises and God's blessings. If you're here and you long to know God, you long to, to be blessed by God and, and understand the promises of God, here's the good news. It's not in what you do. It's what Jesus has done. And the gospel is this place where we are going to, to receive and find uh, God's promises and blessings. And the second thing we're going to see in this passage is, it's the gospel is the place where the curse is reversed. You know, you, we live in the midst of a curse. I, I hope you can see that daily, that, that this planet, this earth, this uh, humanity is cursed. And what is safe? And how can this curse be reversed? The Bible tells us how the curse came. Uh, it came because of our rebellion to a holy God and our sin and a curse has come upon all of us in which we have to try to navigate. We see the gospel is the only place where this curse will be reversed. So if you have your Bibles, turn me to uh, Galatians 3. We've made it to the third chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, the words are listed for you in the bulletin. You can follow along there. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. But let me remind you, although the Apostle Paul wrote this at a specific time for specific churches, uh, Churches of Galatia and they probably the modern day Turkey area. Because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit kind of breathed upon him, these are God's very words. And this is what we know that these words will never lead us astray. They're true. And, but more importantly, they're for you and me. And they're not just to entertain us, they're to transform us. So this is a part of the service you want to lean in and say, God, speak to me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, we'll look at him uh, later, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify, justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That's a hit pause. Abraham. This is Father Abraham in Genesis 12. Having the gospel preached way back then. It's amazing. One gospel. We'll see what that looks like. Saying to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for this incredible gospel, this good news that sets us free. And it's wonderful to know that this was the same gospel that was preached a long, long, long time ago to what we call a father figure named Abraham. But God, may this gospel be clear to each and every one of us now, because we could see that in this passage, there's talks of a curse There's talks of foolishness for walking away from from Jesus. And there's talks of blessings. And there's talks of what it means to receive the promised blessings that you gave to Abraham, that you give to us in Christ Jesus. So God, would you do that which only you could do? Would you speak through a broken sinner like me? And oh God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? And would you give us minds to understand your word here in Galatians 3 and And God, would you give us hearts to embrace your truth and your love? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? And God, the things that I say that are wrong are just my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you will find an outline. We have two main points this morning that we are going to look at. And the first one is this, is that the gospel is the place of God's promises or God's promise. It says singular here at the end and blessing. And I think when we understand this, we got to go back a little bit. What is it talking about the place or the person where God's promises and blessings begin? Because you see in verse 8, it was very interesting. It says the gospel was preached to a guy named Abraham. He starts off as Abram and he, he becomes Abraham. God gives him that name. And we probably want to just glance quickly way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 is where we pick up the story of Abraham. Abraham's a very interesting uh, individual, um, uh, interesting man who God called to himself. And here's what it says in the first few verses of, of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, he will become Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And he says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Is that not a big blessing for somebody? And then he continues the blessings. There's this covenant language in 12 and 15 and 17. I want to look at chapter 15, uh, two verses, five and six. 
And he promises that he's going to bless Abraham with, with enough children that would be more than the stars in the sky. And he brought him outside. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And here's what Abraham did. And he believed the Lord and it was counted, it counted it to him as righteousness. Not because of what he did, but because of what he believed. Now, when we want to understand this story a little bit more, it's interesting. Who is this Abraham? Abraham was a man who had a barren wife. He uh, was an old man when God came to him. And, and as the story unfolds, he just gets older. And he has no children. And so when God promises him, and God makes two beautiful promises to Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you a blessed land, and I'm going to give you a blessed seed. And this blessed seed that I'm going to give to you is going to be a blessing to all nations. It's an absolute amazing seed. Now, don't forget, this is Abraham. Abraham has no children. He's got an old barren wife. And God says, hey, come outside and look upside. Look outside. Look at the stars. Your descendants are going to be more than these. Are you kidding me? I don't even have one. What did it say? Abraham believed God's promises and it was credited to him is righteousness. What did he believe? He believed that a promised seed would come, that through him, it says, all nations will be blessed, that this descendant will be, make him more numerous than the stars of the sky. And because he believed, he was declared righteous. You see, that's the gospel right there. God makes a promise. He comes to us and he makes a promise and he makes a promise way back then to a promised seed to come that will be a blessing to all nations. Do you know who that promise seed is? The story of the Bible is following the, the, the promises of God and following this promise seed. And as a matter of fact, this is actually not even the first place the gospel promises appear. They appear way back even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. As soon as we make a mess of the story and sin enters the story, God promises a seed to come to make all things new, to make all things right to make a, make a blessing to all nations, to give life to that which is dying or dead, that which would take away and reverse a curse. So what is this promised seed? Well, we're going to see, you got it. What it's, it's gonna, we're going to see it more clearly next chapter, and then we're going to see what the blessings of this promised seed are in chapter four. But the promise that God was giving to Abraham is, through you, Abraham, there's going to come one who's going to bless all nations. And through you, this one will give us the promised land of God's land. It's amazing. This promised seed is Jesus. See, see, Abraham was saved. He was credited righteous because he believed in the promises of God and the hope of God that a, that a seed would come, a savior would come. So it's, I grew up in a tradition that really made it sound like the Old Testament God operated one way and the New Testament God operates in another way. I grew up thinking that you were saved by works in the old and you were saved by grace through faith in the new. And that's not true. You see, the gospel is one gospel. It was preached to Abraham. And he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This passage shows us the contrast, that God's blessings were received through the promise of the gospel, not through what Abraham did. And if you, again, the law comes a curse. And now, for those of you who have been journeying along with us, let's just add in a little bit of the rest of the story. What's happening here uh, to these churches? 
some folks who are, were called Judaizers, some folks who were religious folks that said, yes, you have to believe in Jesus as Messiah, but you also have to be circumcised. You have to follow Moses. And I love what Paul is doing here because where did circumcision come from? It was Abraham. He's the one who's going to start this whole circumcision story that, that's going to say this, this is God's people and we are his. It was a sign and seal, but it didn't save anybody. It came after he believed. And so the Judaizers are trying to point to Moses and you have to be circumcised to be saved. Paul's like, well, let's go back to Abraham. How was he saved? Was it through circumstances? No, no, no. He was declared righteous by faith in God's grace alone. And so are we. And through those promises, we uh, receive by God's grace through faith, the promises and blessings we receive. So what, what are those promises? Well, According to this passage, uh, we received, again, we've been, Paul's been drilling this over and over again, that you and I are only declared righteous. We are only made right. We are only justified before a holy God by God's grace through faith alone, faith alone in Christ alone, that we could never uh, earn justification on our own. We could never stand before a holy God and say, look at the things I did. I, I gave to the poor. I helped that lady across the street. I, I went to church a lot. I, I went to seminary. I, 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 I never, never work. You see, it's not by our hands that we are declared justified. It's by the hands, the nail-pierced hands of Christ and the crucified Savior. So we receive this incredible justification, but we receive more. It says that, did the promise of the Holy Spirit come through obeying the law? no. This Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about in the Gospels that would come as a comforter, that as he left, the Holy Spirit would come and would come to all who believe. And the book of Acts reminds us that the, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon us. Uh, the prophet Joel, way back in Joel, uh, would say that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all believers, male and female, young and old. And that's us. So here's the deal. If you're, you're a Christian you have been given, if you've put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, you have been given a gift, a gift of the triune God living inside of us, the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. You can't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's the one who removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. The, the Holy Spirit's the one who allows us to have ears to hear, to understand the gospel. No one comes to Christ apart from God's grace through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the interesting is that some, some people say, well, isn't there, isn't there a second giving of the Holy Spirit? Uh, our charismatic friends get confused sometimes saying that you could become saved and then later in life you could receive the Holy Spirit. And the sign of that would be that maybe you have miraculous tongues or, or you do other things. But according to Scripture, that the only way that a dead person becomes alive in Christ Jesus is the gift of the Holy Spirit making us alive. Now, there's different gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's different gifts that, that, that do manifest. We don't all have uh, the same gifts. But you got to know that there's never been a Christian, a true follower of Christ, a true child of God without the Holy Spirit being given to them. So we receive, now, now we see this promised justification. We're declared not guilty. We receive this incredible Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about that through the rest of the, the letter. 
But we receive the promises of God that in this seed to come, in this Jesus, that all the blessings that were, that were promised in the Old Testament, especially to Abraham, they come to us through Jesus. And there's more to come on this, but I, I can't tell you that one of the blessings we receive because of this Holy Spirit is adoption. That we are made his sons and daughters to those that we could, through the Holy Spirit, cry out, Abba, Father. So this relational change, this blessing from, by nature, children of wrath to those enveloped into his family, brought into his family and loved, that in Christ Jesus, listen, they didn't come through what we did. They came through what Jesus did. And the only way for us to receive these gospel blessings is through the cross of Christ. It's interesting, uh, Paul keeps hammering that point in verse 1. He says, hey, it was vividly portrayed to you publicly that Christ was crucified. Now, if you're a good scholar of God's word, you might stumble a little bit at this and say, well, wait a minute. These aren't folks in Jerusalem. They weren't there. They didn't see the crucifixion. What does it mean it was vividly portrayed to them that Christ was crucified? Because this is what Paul preached. He says, I could preach nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. I could preach nothing but the son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God. So he preached the cross. He says, it's vividly portrayed to you that, that Jesus had to die so that we could live. Christ was vividly portrayed that way. The crucifixion is the only way that, that God's curses can be absorbed. We'll chat about that in a second. His blessings can flow. But what if Charles Blondin crossing the Niagara Falls on that tightrope with, with Harold Holcord on his back? He literally was hanging. By the way, they say that both men were about equal weight. They both weighed about 145 pounds. I did that about sixth grade. But, but they both were similar size. I don't think it was a weight. It was kind of size. It's not like Charles Blondin took some little guy and carried him across. He didn't have Jose Altuve on his back. I mean, he had, he had a man his size. Jose Altuve was a good little illustration I threw in there. No baseball players here. No Astros fans. But he's on his back. Can you imagine that they're walking across the tightrope and, you know, you know, here you got Charles saying, okay, Harold, you okay? Here we go, man. You're hanging on, you're hanging on. And can you imagine if Harold just kind of tapped him halfway across? Hey, hey, Charles, you can stop right here, man. I'm going to get off. I got this now, man. Hey, thank you for getting me this far. I figured it out. You put one foot in front of the other. I got this now. So let me get off and I will start walking. I, I can do the rest on my own. And you, and you would say, that's crazy. Harold, don't be an idiot. Hang on to Charles, man. That's the only chance you got. So you see what was happening in the churches of Galatia is they started with Jesus thinking he would be enough. And all of a sudden he says, hey, we got this from now. We want to be perfected by following the law. We start with grace, but maybe now if we turn and says it's about what we do, uh, we can make it on our own. How crazy would that be? How crazy would it be for Harold to do that? How crazy would it be for you and me? to ever turn from Jesus and say, now it's our turn to do the work. Now it's our turn. And this is what the foolish Galatians were doing. They start with the gospel and they turn to the law saying, yeah, you need Jesus, but maybe we need this Moses guy too in the circumcision and eat certain foods. And what they were doing is, was they were turning from the gospel, they were returning to the law and they forgot that that's the place of the curse. That's a place where the curse lives. The curse is everything that tries to follow it. The second thing is the gospel is the place that the curse is reversed. 
It says in this very interesting, the curse of the law curses anyone who does not fulfill them and lives, tries to live according to them. So they basically say, okay, you need Jesus, and let's go back to circumcision and a, and a few dietary laws. But the law says, if you don't fulfill all of it, you're going to die. I mean, you got to fulfill it, not just a little bit, but all of it. Not just all of it, but you got to fill it, not just to the letter of the law, but to the heart of the law. And making sure you're doing it for God's glory. And if you don't, you'll be cursed. Now, just hang with me here, because the Bible describes to us a God who is a covenant God, a God who went to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who went to David, who through Jesus comes to us and enters into what we call a covenant relationship, kind of like a marriage relationship with us. And there's vows involved. And in incredible language of the Bible, especially like the entire book of Deuteronomy, is this covenant language where God comes to his people and he makes a declaration. I am the Lord God who created heaven and earth. And he, and he, he declares who he is and he enters into relationship. I'm the Lord God and, and I want you to be my people and I will be uh, your God. And there's some stipulations to this, this relationship. If you do this, I will bless you. And if you don't, you will be cursed. So if you follow this, there's going to be life. And if you don't, there will be death. And so you think, okay, well, that's not very gracious. I mean, it's nice that God entered into a relationship with us, but man, these stipulations, we just can't keep them. The amazing gospel, the amazing story of God is that God is not only the one who enters into relationship with us and starts that. Listen, Jesus is the one who fulfills the stipulations of the law. He's the one who says, when it says, if you do this, you will live and we all don't do it. Guess what? The spotless lamb of God did. Jesus came and lived and the life that we failed to live. But there's more. But there's, so, so he fulfilled one end of the deal. But then you had this other end of the deal that if you mess up, here comes curses. So the one who fulfilled the law, the one who did what was right, says, you know what? I'll do the other side too. I'll become a curse for those who deserve the curse. Hang me on the cross let the Father's wrath be poured out on me so that the curse can be reversed, so the curse can be absorbed, that he would become a curse for us. You know, Blondin did not die crossing Niagara Falls. He did it several times. You know what killed him? Too many jelly donuts. Well, diabetes. Kind of interesting. You know, you, you, you have... Uh, you have this incredible acrobat who's able to do incredible things and he dies because of diabetes. Well, his diet eventually would give him. You see, Jesus didn't die of diabetes and he didn't die because he lost his walk on a tightrope somehow or the wind caught him right and he fell over. Jesus died because he laid his life down. He died on a cross to become a curse. He died with intentionality. He died so that we could get a cross. The only crossing, the only way to the Father, the only way, truth, and life is through his life, death, and resurrection. It's the only way we can live. The only way we could be forgiven. He would die on a cross, become a curse for us, because cursed is anyone who hang, is hanged on a tree. And in that incredible sacrifice, that curse is reversed. Christmas is coming. We're going to sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And there's a, there's a great line in that. Uh, you sing joy to the world as far as the curse is found. 
as far as the curse is found. You see that the only hope for our lives, the only hope for our world is that the curse has been broken through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. He promises one day that the curse will be forever done away with. But too many of us know in this room that there's still devastating effects of the curse. Too many of us in this room know the pain and the sorrow that, yes, we have hope, but we still long for more. And the reality is, is he's coming. That empty tomb is a declaration that in Christ Jesus, we will forever live and so will our loved ones. And in Christ Jesus, that, that curse has begun to reverse and life now reigns. And one day, death will be no more. You see, that is the hope. He made it across. He says, I've gone to go and prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would not tell you. Let me ask you a few questions in closing. The first one is this. Are you trusting the gospel alone, Jesus alone, to carry you across from this world to the next? Are you trusting Christ alone? He's saying, Jesus, you are my hope. You're my life. You're my identity. You're my anchor. You are my all in all. It's not me. It's not you and me together. We're going to make this. It's you. You're going to make this and you're going to get me home. It's not Jesus plus the law or plus circumcision or plus this or religion or baptism or the sacraments. It's Jesus alone that makes us home. And as you come to the place where you say, that's me. Yes, they asked Charles Blind, said, okay, do you guys believe I could do this? And they're like, yeah, man, you can definitely do this. And so who wants to get on my back? Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I mean, you can believe that Jesus is Jesus, but have you come to the point you say, but I trust. I mean, I'm going I'm to climb on board and say, my whole hope is in him and him alone. It's the only hope of the gospel. It's the only hope. I hope and pray that God, by his grace, would send that holy promise, Holy Spirit, Give you ears to hear and a heart to respond. Please don't be here and think that you're going to be able to make it on your own. It's not even just you and Jesus. It's Jesus alone that gets us home. And the second one is, I think probably maybe even more for, for many of us. Are you now trying to get halfway across the chasm, a difficult situation, and, and feel like that, that maybe Jesus is saying, why don't you take it from here? Or maybe somehow you're crazy enough to, to be foolish like the Galatians saying, I got this. I think I can go on from here. That you're going to try to bring perfection by what you do and not what Jesus has done. I know that you're doing this if you have a lot of shame and guilt. If you, if you continually remind yourself of all the things that you're not, if, you're, if you live with this reality that, that man, I'm just not good enough. I just, I just can't make it. I mean, how come I'm such a mess? How come my life just continually bottoms out? Because you're a broken sinner who needs to be carried daily by Jesus. And he's not up there wringing his hand saying, I wish you'd get off my back and start walking on your own. He's saying, man, just find your complete rest in me. And I'm enough. I got you. I got this. And we're going to go see the Father, and it's going to be beautiful. And you rest in me. I got you. For those of us who are living thinking that it's our turn to do the walking, may we repent. And may we run back into the arms of Jesus and say, thank you that you got me. Carry me home. There's a reality, of course, we're going to have to live for him, but we're in him. Our life now is the fact that he's, he's carrying us. And may the world see him in us. I think we live our lives thinking, gee, I hope the world sees that I'm good enough. 
You know, that's just not the gospel. Can you imagine if we tried to be people that were good enough that didn't need Jesus? Can you imagine what the gospel would look like there? What the world needs to see is, man, we got no hope apart from one who beat death. We got no hope except for the one who became a curse so that we could be alive. Let us pray. Father God, thanks for this amazing passage. And I love Paul's passion. He's trying to like figure out the church, the Galatians, like who in the world bewitched you? How come you're so foolish? You think you can navigate this without Jesus? Or do you think that Jesus needs more? And God, I get that because I'm like a foolish Galatian too. But God, I pray for the one who is yet to embrace you as Lord and Savior, that your Holy Spirit would come and give them ears to hear and just the eyes to see their sin and their need and that they would embrace this incredible free gift like, like Abraham did, to trust the crazy promises of God that seem ridiculous but true. And thank you for the life that we get all the promises and the blessings that flow from that. And God, I, I pray for those of us who have the tendency to, to crawl off of Jesus's shoulders and get on that rope by ourselves and think that it's our turn now and we got this, we could do it on our own. It's amazing how self-justifying we are and how much we want to earn our keep, prove our way, prove our mettle. And that's just not the gospel. And so for those recovering Pharisees like me, may we continue to just run to Jesus and find our rest and our identity in him alone. We pray in Christ's name, amen.